Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy, a Star Trek podcast told through the lens of leadership development. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're back with Voyager and close to the end of that series. This will be different than our other episodes. So much has happened on Voyager in the last seven seasons. So if you're watching along with us and haven't watched all of Voyager before, a lot of the characters here are going to be new to you. So I'll take it easy on you, though. So here we go. Season 7, Episode 23 of Voyager, Homestead. It's First Contact Day. Attention all personnel. Happy First Contact Day. You see, back on April 5th, 2063, in Bozeman, Montana, Zephram Cochran flew the Phoenix at warp speed. This was the first time in Earth's history that anyone achieved warp. Now, this got the attention of the Vulcans, who then made first contact. That kicked off a series of events that led to the formation of the Federation and Star Trek as we know it. All of this was chronicled in the film Star Trek First Contact, which we referenced in the last Starfleet Leadership Academy episode when we were reviewing TNG's Family. That film was released in November of 96. This episode aired four and a half years later in May 2001. So so this First Contact stuff was a well-established bit of canon at this point. So here we are, April 5th, 2378. It's the 315th First Contact Day, and Neelix is throwing a party. They're listening to oldies, eating cheese pierogies, and and just having a good time. Neelix tries pressuring Tuvok into dancing, and even with Janeway's help, it doesn't happen. Vulcans do not dance. Neelix, at this point, pledges to get Tuvok to dance at least once before they reach Earth. This is a great example of leadership buying into endorsing and participating in fun bonding moments with their teams. Janeway, who we saw back in The Cloud, is is one to keep a level of professional distance with the crew, but that doesn't stop her from having a good time with them. You two have outdone yourselves. I've never seen First Contact Day celebrated quite like this. This is a fun event with strong cultural significance, and she is all in. This reminds me of an event we held at an office I managed. Every November, December-ish, we would have a winter celebration to celebrate the holidays, of course, but also the founding of our program that uh, started back in November of 2001. 
Each year would have a theme ranging from casino night to carnival and everything in between. One year, the theme was Dr. Seuss. Please don't ask me why. I, I don't know. Anyway, I adapted Green Eggs and Ham to talk about the work we did. It was pretty fun. It was a, I mean, it was a small thing, but at a fun event that was significant to our work culture, oh man, it, it meant a lot. In a very real way, Janeway is doing the same thing here as she's trying to goad Tuvok into, into dancing. Chakotay interrupts the fun and lets both Janeway and Neelix know they've found Talaxian life signs just about five light years away. Now they are years away from Talax or Talaxian space. So, so this, this is a really, really big deal. So they head in to investigate. They locate the Talaxians inside of an asteroid field and they're not responding to any hails. Paris, Tuvok, and Neelix head into the asteroid field in the Delta Flyer. That's a, that's a customized shuttle that Tom Paris built back, back in season six. They locate the Talaxians on sensors and, and they're, they're inside of an asteroid. A series of projectiles are launched at the flyer and that forces an emergency landing, conveniently, right on their asteroid. Voyager tracks this as they lose contact with the Delta flyer. Seven of Nine, uh, that's one of the new characters that we're just now meeting on this podcast, she's a liberated Borg human, or as we know them now from Star Trek Picard, an XB. Janeway orders the shuttlecraft on Voyager to be modified to withstand the bombardment that the, uh, that the Delta Flyer experienced. After the emergency landing, Neelix wakes up and he's being attended to by a female Talaxian, Dexa. Right away, she starts interrogating Neelix, asking, what are they doing in the asteroid field? What were you doing in the asteroid field? And she's not quite buying any answer he has, and, and she doesn't understand why, why he would live and travel with aliens. Neelix answers every question she has with the confidence of someone that's been a member of a Starfleet crew for seven years. It's standard procedure for an away mission. Dexa's son, Brax, comes into the room. Dexa immediately shoos him away and then locks Neelix behind a force field. Once the modifications to the shuttles are complete, Janeway orders an away team to prep and head out after the Delta Flyer. But she's interrupted by a mining vessel led by someone named Nakona. He claims to own the asteroid field. We learn the projectiles that downed the flyer were, were part of a mining operation Nakona was leading. He strongly encourages Voyager to stay out of the field and even offers to search for the missing away team. And then he ends the conversation before Janeway can even respond. On the planet, or in the asteroid, Neelix is trying to bond with Brax. He's, uh, he's playing on the other side of the force field. Really curious about Voyager and is asking a lot of questions. Dexa returns and Brax runs off. He, he doesn't want to get caught. She introduces Neelix to the council regent, Oxalon. He releases Neelix and informs him that Tuvok and Paris are waiting for him at the Delta Flyer. Neelix launches into some, some real diplomacy here and tries to establish a relationship with Oxalon, but, but, but he's, he's not at all interested. Now that everything's been cleared up, maybe we could talk, get to know each other a little. This is a very insular and well, borderline xenophobic group. On the way to the Delta Flyer, Dexa shows Neelix around. There are over 500 people living in the asteroid. She talks about all the work they've done and, and the work they still need to do. Neelix is very impressed with what they've accomplished. They meet up with Paris and Tuvok and Dexa returns to her people. 
Neelix grabs a plasma manifold and gets right to work helping to repair the shuttle. Well, you can give me a hand with this plasma manifold. He looks for the silver lining in, in the disappointing experience that he had. That's nice of you to say, Commander, but it wasn't a complete waste of time. I got to meet some of my people again, even if it was a short visit. As they're working on their repairs, they find a stowaway. Surprise, it's Brax. He really wants to go see Voyager. As Neelix is leading Brax back to his mother, he runs into Oxalon, who is arguing with Nakona, the mining dude. He says the Talaxians have three days before his crews destroy the asteroid to mine it. He insists that he doesn't want to hurt anyone, but, but, but says that he's been patient enough. This is their final warning. Dexa stands up to Nakona. They end up grabbing Brax, and, and, and Neelix just, just gets right into it. He attacks one of the miners with a classic Star Trek double axe handle chop, grabs his phaser, and sends the miners packing. They thank him, but Dexa and Oxalon then argue back and forth, kind of, you know, fighting back versus, versus running away. Fighting back has never done anything but cause us more trouble. And what has running away ever done for us? It's kept us alive. Maybe it's time we stayed and defended ourselves. Dexa asks if Neelix will help them. Neelix agrees that fighting isn't the answer, but offers to help advocate to Janeway for help. He invites them to Voyager to meet with her, and she agrees to conduct a negotiation. And now it's his turn to show them around. Neelix expertly walks them through the stations on the bridge. Harry Kim and Chakotay talk him up big time. Without a doubt, he's the most versatile member of our crew. He introduces Dexa and Brax to Naomi Wildman, his, his goddaughter. Naomi Wildman, subunit of Ensign Samantha Wildman. Naomi Wildman. Yes? Naomi Wildman. Thank you to Ryan's edits on YouTube for that one. Naomi's another character that we'll meet in more detail in earlier episodes of Voyager, later episodes of Starfleet Leadership Academy. What we need to know here is that she is very important to Neelix. She offers to take Brax to see the holodeck. They run off, leaving Neelix and Dexa together. They get some Talaxian food and reminisce about Talax. We learn her husband, Brax's father, died. She tells the story of her group's exodus from Talax and their search for a new home. Her husband, on a planet they tried to stay on, was killed while defending his meager farmland. And that's what ultimately led them to this asteroid. The negotiations are underway. Janeway's working really hard to find a compromise. And Neelix, Neelix is actively participating and, and, and has a pretty good idea. Would you be open to some kind of compensation? He shares that the Talaxians have found a way to produce geothermal energy that could be converted to fuel. Janeway jumps on the opportunity and offers to provide technology to adapt the fuel to the miners' needs. They, they, they seem like they might be open to this. Negotiations are a big part of our job as leaders. Sometimes, like Janeway, we are negotiating huge deals with multiple priorities, lots of interests. And other times, we're, we're negotiating who gets the last piece of pizza. We don't see the in-depth back and forth here, but what we do see is that there's a shared value between these parties. No one wants any harm to come to the Talaxians. When you're negotiating with someone, having a shared vision can, can, can really change the game. We're all familiar with the traditional compromise versus win-win model of negotiating, right? I want A, you want B. To compromise, we, we both get a piece of part A and part B, but, but neither of us necessarily gets what we actually want. Win-win introduces C to the equation, another option. Well, in this case, 
A successful negotiation with a shared value can create a win-win-win. I, I get what I want, you get what you want, and we both satisfy our shared value. So in this example, the Talaxians would get to stay on the asteroid, win. The miners will have access to necessary fuel and resources, win. And there's no harm or loss of life, win. We'll see how these negotiations end up just a little later. Naomi is still hanging out with Brax, and she's telling the story of Tuvix. Oh, I cannot wait for Tuvix to come up for the Starfleet Leadership Academy. This is a super contentious episode for a lot of Voyager fans, and I'm excited to jump into the middle of that philosophical quagmire that is a Star Trek equivalent to the trolley dilemma. But, but that's for a future episode. Well, it turns out the negotiations didn't go super well. Michael, in order to expedite these negotiations, we are prepared to make you a very generous offer. And we are prepared to reject that offer. The miners only agreed to extend the deadline. Janeway offers Voyager to help ferry supplies, but that, that's just not good enough for Dexa. Neelix asks Tuvok for help, setting them up for success on the planet that they've ultimately selected to move to. Tuvok instead makes the case, hypothetically, for what it would take for them to make a stand and defend their asteroid. To begin with, they would need to establish some kind of perimeter. You mean shields? Yes. He says the piece they are missing is good leadership. He goes on to state, hypothetically again, that Neelix is the one for the job. This sends Neelix into a spiral of self-doubt, but Tuvok cuts that off and reinforces the skills Neelix has developed on Voyager. On this podcast, I've committed to being transparent and owning my biases. Well, here we go. I cannot stand Neelix. He is, without a doubt, far and away my least favorite Star Trek character. I often really feel bad for Ethan Phillips, who plays Neelix. He is a wildly skilled actor that had to sit for all that makeup and portray a character that, in, in, in my opinion, added little to nothing to the show and, and, well, often detracted from it. Okay, all that being said, <laughs> Tuvok is right. This episode demonstrates it in a number of ways, but, but even when looking back on the series, Neelix has really grown and developed. In this scene, his self-doubt is the voice of the viewer. I couldn't lead those people, Mr. Tuvok. I'm not a fighter. I'm just a cook who sometimes imagines himself to be a diplomat. But Tuvok counters that with, with, with the exact reason I make this podcast. On the contrary, Mr. Neelix, you are much more than that. You are perhaps the most resourceful individual I have ever known. He has developed. He has grown. I make this podcast to help impart leadership lessons from Star Trek. Well, Neelix is the product of exactly that. Janeway, Chakotay, and the whole crew really have played active roles in stretching him slowly beyond his capabilities, teaching, honing new skills, developing and preparing him for the moment that he can unleash his potential as a leader. If your job is to be a leader, like if you're a manager, or a director, or VP, or whatever title that assumes you have a leadership role, this is what it is all about. Finding the opportunities to give assignments that are just a, a little bit beyond someone's current abilities, along with a 
appropriate supports, of course, creating opportunities where your staff can fail and learn from those failures. To use a sports analogy, it is all about building your bench. There's more to this, a a lot more, and, and we'll get into that shortly. But this moment with Tuvok was a serious aha for me. Put simply, the person from which I expect the least is actually capable of the most. Wow. This makes me question who, like, who have I unintentionally held back because they were my least favorite character on the team, if, 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 if you know what I mean. <sighs> a lot to think about, not just for me, but also for Neelix. With a lot on his mind, he heads to the shuttle bay. Janeway finds him in the hallway. You're as much a part of this crew as anyone else. She puts up the tiniest bit of a fight, but quickly wishes him the best, sends him on his way. He's on the asteroid, and he is showing off the skills that Tuvok reminded him, and and me, that he has. He's speaking with confidence. He's thinking innovatively, and he's, he's inspiring the Talaxians to stand up for themselves. I don't like it either, but at some point you have to stand up for yourselves. How do you know there won't be someone else to terrorize you the next place you go? They get right to work. Neelix is checking in with people, setting up the plan. He's encouraging them and appropriately sharing his vulnerability. You're scared, aren't you? You? Terrified. He's walking around, checking in with the teams and actively providing oversight. The miners start attacking. They're only targeting non-essential systems. But Neelix is directing a tactical response as they prepare, the Talaxians prepare, to deploy a shield. Neelix is really the, the, the captain of this operation, and he is running the show. He's finding his stride in the leadership role, and, and, and the operation is a success. The shield is deployed, and the miners give up. After the engagement, Neelix is trying to say goodbye to Dexa, Brax, and Oxalon. I say trying because they really want him to stay, and it is, it is obvious that Neelix wants to. He returns to Voyager and has a talk with Naomi Wildman. He's wrestling with some real life-changing stuff right now, and he reaches out to someone he trusts. As they talk, he realizes that, that she's grown and, and doesn't really need him in, in, in the way that, that she used to. After that realization, he heads into the mess and runs into Janeway. She listens, just lets him talk. She knows what he's wrestling with and is hopeful, I think, that he'll, he'll talk his way to his own conclusion. He doesn't, so she plays that ace in the hole that every leader has. Hey, maybe you could help me. She explains that they are close to home and they have, uh, they've established two-way communication with Earth. It, spoiler alert for people new to Voyager, that, that, happens. that happens a while ago in the series. But they're going to need a permanent ambassador in the Delta Quadrant. It seems to me Starfleet could use a permanent ambassador in the Delta Quadrant. This ambassador would have to stay in frequent contact with Voyager. She basically gives Neelix permission to be okay with what he wants to do. There's an important distinction here. She's not giving permission for him to leave. That's not hers to give. She's making it okay for Neelix to feel what he is feeling, and for him to make his own decision. Without that, he could use a false sense of obligation to Voyager and end up staying on board and, and not, not do what he's feeling called to do. There's visible relief on his face as, as she finally says this. Okay, this is what I was talking about earlier. Tuvok helped Neelix see and accept the potential and the skill he had within him. 
Then Neelix validated that by leading the Talaxians to a successful defense of their home. And now this, Janeway lets him leave, lets him use those skills and his unlocked potential elsewhere. Many people would want to keep him to themselves so they can personally benefit. But it's, it's not about them. It's about Neelix. It's not about you, right? It's about your employee. Yes, you, you invested in them. You developed them. But, but do you want them to feel obligated to you? Or do you want them to be able to do what they want to do? I'll give a real-life example from, from my experience. I used to work with this amazing person, Aaron. He was brilliant, eager to do good work, and hungry to do the most he could do. I worked closely with him, gave him opportunities to stretch beyond his capabilities. He eventually developed and demonstrated the skills necessary to promote and move to the next level. I had plenty of opportunities for him. He, he could have absolutely stepped up within my organization and I could have directly benefited from his development. But his passion was for other work. With my support, he promoted into a critical role in HR. And, and God bless him for that. And, and, and God bless all of you HR professionals out there. <laughs> Yikes. I'll be honest, it, it kind of sucked. Like I, I felt like I lost out. But here's where, here's where it gets cool. It didn't take long for our work to start intersecting. We found ourselves in meetings together. He was supporting much of our work from the HR side. Our relationship and the investment I and my team made in him paid off time and time again as he was able to help us through some really difficult problems and was always there to either advocate for us or, or let me know privately that I was way off base and needed to cool my jets. It was 100% worth it to help him out and to support him leaving and doing what he actually wanted to do. Unfortunately, Aaron... Aaron passed away unexpectedly a few years ago. I miss him terribly, but I am so thankful for the time that I did get with him and for the lessons that he taught me. In this case, Janeway is actively supporting and encouraging Neelix to do what he wants to do, to follow his passion. While he won't be on Voyager flexing his newly realized leadership muscles, she, and really the entire Federation, will benefit from his role in the Delta Quadrant. In an emotional scene, Neelix leaves the turbo lift and is headed to his ship the last time. Crew are lining the corridor to send him away. Janeway wishes him well, and Tuvok, Tuvok does a little dance for him. A beautiful and fitting goodbye, especially for a relationship that was established in the very first episode of the series. Goodbye, and good luck, Ambassador. Mr. Neelix... Live long and prosper. The episode ends with him embracing Dexa and Brax, his new family. I came into this episode being happy that it's one of the last times we'll see Neelix. Instead, this episode showed me that while it was a long time coming, he really did bring value to the ship. Now, I'm not ready to say that he's not my least favorite character in the whole franchise, but my overall opinion has certainly changed. I really enjoyed this episode. It starts with a solid premise, a colony hidden in an asteroid field, and then layers on even more cool stuff. Hey, they're Talaxians. 
Throughout the series, we learned a lot about these people, including the devastating war with the Hakonians that caused most of the Talaxians to leave their homeworld. Meeting these colonists really adds an exodus flavor to the, the story of all those expelled from home. It's also a really good overview of the impacts and relationships Neelix has had on Voyager. We see the depth of his relationship with Naomi Wildman, the respect the crew has for him, specifically when Harry Kim and Chakotay talk him up in front of Dexa and Brax. And we see the power of his friendship with Tuvok. We'll talk about that more when we get down into the command codes. I also really like the fact that the bad guys in this episode weren't really bad guys. They were just greedy miners trying to capitalize on their investment. They weren't bent on evil, and, and they even went out of their way to avoid hurting the Talaxians. We don't want to hurt anyone. They were really just there as a catalyst for Neelix to see his potential. Plus, I think their makeup was pretty cool too. The scene when Neelix leaves the ship is very well done. You know, this might just be me, but it, but it makes me wish that there was a salute or something like that they used in Starfleet. While Janeway's farewell is heartfelt and appropriate, it just doesn't pack the punch that a, that a Starfleet salute would have. But, but that's, that's just my opinion. As a bit of trivia, most of the people lining the corridor were crew or, 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 or just extras around hanging out around set. They put, they put everyone they possibly could into a uniform and gave them a spot to stand in. Jerry Ryan, the, the actor that portrays Seven of Nine, said this was her most emotional day and the most emotional moment working on Voyager. Command codes verified. We have some great Janeway stuff in this episode, as always, but, but we'll get to her later. First, I want to look at some of the, con- the construction of this episode and how it really laid a trail of breadcrumbs to the ending. The episode starts with an event a party that Neelix coordinated and worked. Later, when he first wakes up, he cites standard procedure for an away team. When he meets the council regent, he goes into diplomat mode and attempts to form a relationship to build an alliance. In the Delta Flyer, he gets right to work repairing the ship. He doesn't need anyone telling him what to do or how to do it. He just knows. This all continues when the Talaxians are threatened. He steps right in and uses Starfleet combat tactics to stand up to the miners. All of this takes us to about the halfway point of the episode. And this was all meant to demonstrate his competency. If you happen to be watching this episode with the biases that, that, that I was, this was really important as we head into the next part of the episode. When Tubak steps in and suggests that Neelix has what it takes to lead these colonists in the defense of their home, all of that makes that statement believable. I don't believe that I am the person most qualified to assume that role. You mean me? I am merely speaking hypothetically. We just spent 20 minutes watching him do the things that Tuvok says he can do. So this brings us to the Tuvok lesson for the episode. He knows the abilities of the people on his team. He knows them better than they do, or, or, or at least he has more insight into them. Neelix really represents a lot, of, a lot of people here. People that are, you know, maybe, I don't know, academically aware of their capabilities, but they don't, they don't necessarily believe in them. Neelix expresses a lot of self-doubt here, but, but Tuvok knows the truth and he continues to express it to him. For you and me in, in our workplace, this is part of why we do performance reviews and, and, and development plans. Now, if you're like I was a few years ago, you're thinking, performance review, are you serious? Those are a waste of time. Well, quite frankly, in a lot of environments, yeah, you're right. 
for many large companies or, or in a lot of organizations with uh, collective bargaining agreements, the performance review has become little more than another box to check. Hmm, let's see. Yep, updated emergency contacts. You got your property tracking here. Oh, and uh, here's your annual review. All right, see you next year. Man, this is one of the biggest crimes we've ever perpetrated in modern work culture. Such a wasted opportunity. But let's be real. For a lot of us, it's, it's literally just another thing we have to do, and there's very little incentive to put any real effort into it. I remember one company I worked for getting all of my reviews complete on time was part of my performance review. So I had to check boxes so my boss could check a box and I'm sure his boss had a similar box to check. Our annual raises were tied to our scores, but if we scored someone low enough that they didn't get a raise or high enough that they would get more than the standard raise, HR would just push back. They'd make me jump through countless other hoops, basically making it impossible to do anything other than just give the standard raise. I tell you what, those, those were some absolutely worthless reviews that I delivered when I worked there. And yeah, the performance reviews I received were just as worthless. <laughs> yeah, thanks boss. Here, just let me, uh, just let me file this over here in this blue barrel. So if we can agree that in most organizations, these have become kind of a waste of time, what, what should they look like? Where is the value in actually doing a performance review? Well, if I could be so bold, we saw the value right here when Tubak lit the fire under Neelix that was the catalyst for his actions in this episode. So cool, we can agree there's some value, but what, what do they look like? Well, first, Many of us are committed to using a format developed by our employer, but, but that's okay. I mean, really, that's just, that just helps guide the conversation. And that's, and that's what it should look like, a conversation. Whatever the period is between reviews, annual seems to be the standard, you should be observing their job performance, their demonstration of soft skills that are important to your work and work culture, et cetera, et cetera. And then, then you should talk to your employee about it. Don't just write it up, send it off, and wait for their signature. Tell them what you saw, areas they can improve and develop in, and, and then help them actually do those things. But much like Tuvok did here, tell them where they excelled. Tell them what you have observed in them that maybe they aren't aware of. This is where you can open their eyes and possibly doors to opportunities or challenges they may have never even considered or seen in themselves. I have a person I work with right now. They do quality assurance work and they're really good at it. But some time ago, I observed how much they tend to dive into the guts of a process. They naturally look for opportunities to streamline operations. I shared this in a check-in on their development plan. That's a plan that grew out of their performance reviews and discussions about their aspirations, both professional and personal. After a conversation about this, I was able to send them to training, and since then, they've earned their green belt and Six Sigma, and they're working towards their black belt. They're loving it, feeling valued, feeling heard in our organization. But I'm loving it too. They've cleaned up so many of our processes. It's great. Janeway doesn't appear very much in this episode, but when she does, she's delivering the goods. At the top of the episode, she's partying with her crew. Well, partying Janeway style. This is an official ship function, Commander. 
Don't make me order you to dance. We examined this pretty closely in our episode on the cloud when she determined the need to be close yet remain professional with the crew. That was in the first season. Here we are in the seventh and we're seeing the impacts from that decision. She's having fun. She's interacting with people, even poking a little fun at Tuvok along with Neelix. It's great. She does a lot in this moment to enrich and sustain the culture on Voyager. Her shining moment in this episode, though, is when she runs into Neelix in the mess hall. She knows Neelix. In fact, she knows all of her crew. Given what has happened since they met the Talaxians and Neelix's behavior, she knows what's up. Now, here's some of the magic of Janeway. Before she even opens her mouth, she's made her decision. She immediately knows that she's going to encourage him to leave the ship, to leave the crew, in a style reminiscent of the Socratic method. Socrates. She works backwards from that decision. She asks questions, and she lays the groundwork for the moment. She starts by asking questions and being quiet, giving Neelix space to talk. I think here she's hoping that he'll talk himself into the decision himself, but he doesn't, so she shifts gears like an expert. She's going to meet him halfway. Knowing he's always eager to help, that's exactly what she asks. Maybe you could help me. This is an incredible approach to use in your day-to-day. People generally, they tend to want to help. They also tend to not want to do what they're told to do. There's a big difference between, hey, I need you to go work on that thing over there now, please, and, hey, will you help me out with something? We have to take care of this thing really quickly, and I need someone to go work on that thing over there. Do you think you could do that? In both cases, the person will likely do the thing, but in the second case, they'll want to do it. They'll feel like they're helping and contributing, and they're likely going to do a better job. But here, she asks for his help, and then basically spells out the situation that will let him do what he wants to, And then she just waits for him to say yes. You wouldn't be interested, would you? Now, this is not a case of being manipulative. I mean, really, she's being very authentic. She really does need someone she trusts implicitly in the Delta Quadrant. Like, this is a real need that she and Starfleet and the Federation have. But the way she offers it not only empowers Neelix to act on the decision he's already pretty much made, but makes him feel... Like he's helping her. Like like his decision is doing her a favor. It's amazing. At the start of this scene, he was so worried about disappointing Janeway and, and everyone on the ship. But at the end, he's the hero. He's able to help the Talaxians leave the ship to stay with them and continue to help Voyager. Again, win, win, win. And then, oh, it shocks me to be saying this. We. We have lessons from Neelix. He shows off his leadership skills while helping the colonists set up their defenses. He maintains his calm. He checks in with the various groups working on different tasks, management by walking around. He is endlessly encouraging. He makes it clear that he believes in these people. He took a group that had been conditioned to run at the first sign of trouble and led them to an effective defense of their home. Now, my opinion here is that his effectiveness comes from, from, from two general places. First, the years of training and experience he has received, along with the recently reinforced confidence from Tuvok and his colleagues on Voyager. 
Secondly, and this is a lesson we can all apply right away, he knows what success looks like and he truly believes they will be successful. Imagine if he approached this effort the same way we approach, or people we know approach, many projects we are involved in. You know, where we define success like, the implementation of the new software. What does that even mean? Like, what what does that look like? And I don't mean, like, what's your guiding vision? I mean, literally, what does it look like? If someone was standing there, watching success happen, how would they describe it? What would they say? Well, Neelix can describe it. A shield emitter that is deployed and creating a shield. The miners seeing the shield and giving up their effort. And finally, the Talaxians settling into safety in their home they now have fought for. If you're involved in a project or if you are working to develop people, imagine what success looks like. What do you see? Do you believe it? Do you believe it's possible? to achieve that success. Take a page from Neelix here. Having that picture and believing in it makes all the difference. Wow, I I cannot believe that I just encouraged people to follow Neelix's example. I tell you, if you had any idea how deep my bias runs towards him, you'd understand what a powerful lesson he helps teach here. So what are your thoughts on this episode? How do you develop the people on your team? Do you have any great stories to share? I'd love to hear them. I'm on all the social media at Jeff T. Aiken, Jeff T. as in Talaxian, A-K-I-N. And hey, can you help me out for a minute? If you've enjoyed the Starfleet Leadership Academy or if you've learned anything from it, can you share it with a friend or or someone else that you think could benefit from it? It'd mean a lot to me. All right, what are we going to watch next time? Oh, this is a fun one with a lot of Star Trek history baked into it. The 10th episode of the first season of Discovery, Despite Yourself. I'll be honest, Discovery is a tougher series for the format of this podcast. Uh, Each episode is another chapter in the ongoing story arc of the season. So we're coming in at the top of the last third of the story. It'll be an interesting challenge, but one I look forward to. Hey, until then... Ex Astra Scientia. Hey everybody, quick update. So I began doing prep for our next episode, Despite Yourself, and realized that Discovery is such a unique series that to jump out of order would really be confusing for everyone. So instead, whenever the random episode generator comes up with a Discovery episode, what I'm going to do is just progress to the next one sequentially. So on our next episode, we will be reviewing Season 1, Episode 3, Context is for Kings. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Hath Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Hey there! 
there. I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast. Back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interviews. Electric acid. Electric acid.